It's interesting when you think about the fact that um, all of us have kind of grown up with the same uh, pearls of wisdom, um, with the same uh, cliches or proverbs um, that others around us have grown up with. In fact, even for, for generations, um, and, and some of them were, were true. Like, don't put your eggs in one basket. I mean, how many of you heard that growing up? Well, and, and later on, you found out it made sense, right? As, as you did investing in things, you realize don't put your, you know, all your money in one place in case it turns out not to be the best investment. Or um, early to bed, early to rise. You know, understanding that if you want to get a jump on the day, you can't stay up all night. Um, or the truth will always come out. Sooner or later, you come to realize that, you know what? You can't cover things up. You can't hide things. The truth will always be the truth, and it will always come out. Some things um, were not true. Like uh, growing up hearing your parents say, you know, stop squinting your eyes or they'll stay that way. Or... um, don't swallow your gum because it'll stay in your stomach for weeks. Or um, don't get too close to the, e- to the TV or you'll end up with square eye. I don't know if you ever heard that one. I hear it. Um, some true, some not true. There were some we heard that, well, yeah, they were somewhere in between. Like major on the majors not the minors. Because if you don't, you'll end up majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors, and it doesn't work out. I mean, you gotta keep your focus on the big things. If you're in a boat that's sinking, you don't try to fix the chip paint, you try to fix the hole in the boat. If, um, if your house is burning down, you don't run out of the house and stop to adjust the time of the clocks. If, um, if you're a police officer and you're being called to a bank robbery, you don't stop and write parking tickets. You know, you major on the major and not the minors. There are some things though that not so true. There are times that we major on the majors, but that we also major on the minors. We see a lot of that in the Bible. And in particular, what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks is majoring on the minors and majoring with the minors. Those books in the Bible that we call the minors, the minor prophets, um, not to be confused with the major prophets. And some of you might not know what I'm talking about with any of the majors or the minors. Well, we call the minor prophets minor because they were shorter books, not because the content wasn't important, just simply that the books themselves were shorter than the major prophets but not at all less in importance. Um, In fact, we know that 
you could take all of the minor prophets and they'd probably, they would fit in the book of Isaiah. In fact, I think uh, they'd only cover about two thirds of the book of Isaiah. You could take all the prophets and they would fit um, in the book of Jeremiah. The minors were small books written by the prophets, but they were very, very relevant. They were very, very practical. They were very real for the people that the miners were writing to and for people like us. When we talk about the minor prophets, who are we talking about? Well, the major prophets were Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. We call them major once again because they had many multiple chapters to them. Um, like I said, Isaiah had 66, Jeremiah had 52, Ezekiel had 48. They were the bigger books. The minors are 12 minor books, 12 minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They're the books that you find at the end of the Old Testament. And they're at the end of the Old Testament because when they get done speaking, there's a period for 400 years where there is silence, where God doesn't speak to his people at all until the coming of the Christ. This morning, we're gonna look at one of those books, the book of Hosea. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> now, when we talk about a prophet, what's a, pro a prophet? Well, prophets were people who were empowered by God to go out and speak a message given by God. Usually they were words of correction. They were words of warning. In fact, the prophets we're talking about in the Old Testament, they were there to speak to God's people words of warning because they had taken a radical left turn. But there are also people in the midst of warning, in the midst of caution, in the midst of judgment, would also speak words of hope. And when you read the prophets, the really cool thing is, you'll find over and over again, as they look to speak towards the future of what was gonna happen with Israel, they would also include the coming of the Messiah. We're gonna focus on uh, Hosea. Um, what is it that we know about Hosea? Um, if you can go to the beginning of the, the verse. The word of the Lord uh, that came to Hosea, uh, son of Barry, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jero Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. Um, Hosea came and he wrote the words that God gave him, he spoke the words that God gave him during the period of seven, the reign of seven kings. And the words that he spoke were primarily for those in northern Israel. Um, what do we know about the time? Can you put up that map of um, Israel? Or well, actually, yeah, what we know is right about 732, 
the Assyrians had come in and, well, no, actually back it up uh, one more. There we go. When we think of Israel, we usually think of one country, right? But Israel became split in two because of the fighting of two brothers. Saul was the first king of Israel, then David, then Solomon. But then Solomon's son, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, became mortal enemies. And so uh, the kingdom of Israel got split from the north and the south. The northern part of Israel was called Israel, and the southern part of Israel was called Judah. And that's the way it remained. Go to the next slide. Until around 732, when the Assyrians attacked northern Israel and they took over. And then later, the Babylonians came and they attacked southern Israel and northern Israel and took over both. And then after that, the Persians came and took over Israel. And after that, the Greeks came. And Israel wasn't its own country till around 1948 when after World War II. Why? Because two brothers were at war with each other. Two brothers were fighting with each other. Um, you want to see how bad it is. In, in the book of um, Hosea in chapter 4, look at the words we, we read when it gives us kind of a, a feeling of what was going on with the people of Israel at that time. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. I want you to think about that for a minute. Living in a country where there is no faithfulness, no love, and no acknowledgement of God. Well, there are times we can feel like we live in a country like that, huh? He goes on and writes, there is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. This was a culture that had become totally narcissistic. The government was corrupt, the courts were corrupt, the people were corrupt. In fact, if you had to kind of nail it down to uh, three major areas, uh, there were people who engaged in idolatry, the worship of false gods. They were people who engaged um, in immorality, adultery and cheating the poor. And they were people who were ungrateful. They didn't care about God whatsoever. Well, we see that today. That's the time in which Hosea lived. And Hosea was a righteous person. Hosea was a person who walked with God, who tried to live in the midst of a wicked time, trying to be the person God would have him to be. We don't know a lot about Hosea. 
We know he served about uh, the same time, 735, around the same time as Amos, but another prophet we're going to look at. But other than that, we don't know a whole bit about it. We just know that he lived in a crazy time. Now watch this. Go back to Hosea, first slide. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Here you are, you're living in a wicked world and you're trying to keep it off of you. You're trying to make sure that it doesn't stain your life. And you spend your whole life praying that maybe someday God would send you a godly woman. I mean, a godly spouse. Many of us have grown up that way, right? And we've told our kids, you know, pray that God would send you a godly spouse. And I can only imagine that that's what Hosea prayed. And how does it turn out? God says, go out and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So she's promiscuous when he marries her and then she becomes adulterous. Can you imagine how Hosea felt? And a culture that was just turned upside down, going crazy, filled with depravity. The only person he can count on is God and God says to him, go out and marry a harlot. Unbelievable. Look what else we read. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore a son. So he married this woman, Diblam, and they had a child. In fact, they went on and they had three children. And Hosea can't even really be sure that they're his children because she's running around with everybody. She's adulterous. And so they have kids and listen to the names that God calls Hosea to name his kid, his children. First is Jezreel, which means God scatters. Second, Lo Rahama, which means not loved. And Lo Eme, which means not my people. So, so you're, you're married to a harlot. And you've got three kids called Go Be Scattered, Not Loved, and Not My People. And this is supposed to make sense? I mean, just think about the harlot part. Imagine bringing her home. Hey, Mom, remember that girl down the street who wears all that makeup and, and, and she's got those short, short skirts, and she's got that friendly smile, I'm going out with her. I'm marrying her. Uh, imagine telling your friends, 
Do you know, yeah, well, I guess, yeah, you probably all know her. She's going to be my wife. And, and I'd like you to meet our, our children. Go scatter. Not loved, not my people. What must that be like? I mean, we all know in part, we've all seen and maybe some of you have experienced what it's like to be married to an adulterous person. The pain and suffering of, of betrayal and the terror of, of hoping and waiting that it will come to an end. And, and the, the damage it's, it, it does to the children. The damage you might have seen to your children or to the children of other people. And the whole thing just, it looks bad. It almost looks cursed. It breaks my heart when, I'm, when I see people like that. I see people like that all week, men and women, who want to be faithful to God, who want to do what's right, and they're married to somebody that is just sowing the wind and reaping the wind, whirlwind, and all they can do is watch All they can do is deal with the pain that somebody else has sowed for them that they had no control over because they've been made victim of their love and of the vows they took. Can you imagine what that felt, would feel like? Some of you know. Some of you have sat with people like that. And, and, and notice what we, say, what we see. Back up just again. Because we get a hint and a clue of why God told Hosea to do this. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So what's going on here? God is using Hosea is like an illustration to the people of Israel. This is what you've done to me. This is how you've hurt me and broken my heart with your idolatry and immorality and, and your ungratefulness. This is how you've hurt me. And, and you think, boy, God, you know, why take it out on Hosea? He was a good guy. But as you study the prophets, God will sometimes even use and allow them pain in order to let his love become known. But boy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be that guy. But then again, I gotta stop and say, but that's, that's what God feels all the time. It's powerful stuff. Now, here's, here's, 
the catch-all. Chapter 4. Look what we read. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelite. Uh, no, I'm sorry, chapter 3. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Literally, he does, he's told not just to love her, but to buy her back. In fact, go to the next slide. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer, an aleth of a barley. What does that mean? It means the other guy loved her, but he didn't love her. He was her pimp. She was his prostitute. And now God says, go back to her. Go get her. Don't wait for her to come back. Go get her and buy her back. Okay, God, you want me to go back and pay for this skanky, used up, ungrateful woman? God says, yeah, and I want you to love her. And I want you to pay for it. You want to know how bad she must have been when when Hosea bought her, at that time, <clears throat> a bull went for around 30 pieces of silver. She's not even worth that. She's only worth 15. I mean, talk about used and abused. And God says, I want you to go and get her and take her home and love her. Because that's what I do with Israel. What's the principle of Isaiah? I want you to hear this because it's powerful. The principle of Isaiah is this. God loves you even when you don't love yourself. God loves you even when you don't love yourself. God loves you when you think you're loving yourself. God loves you when you don't love yourself, but you think you are loving yourself because you're in the pig pen and in the muck and the mire, but you're having fun thinking this is good for you. And it's the antithesis of of everything that God would have for you. You're killing yourself. You're poisoning yourself. You're making yourself depraved. You're on the edge of finding out. You've got herpes or you're a drug addict or an alcoholic, but you don't know it yet. And you've fully turned your back on God, but God loves you even when you don't know it yet. God loves you when you don't love him. God loves you when you walk away from him and say, you know what? I want to do what I want to do and I know what I want to do isn't what you want me to do so something's got to give and it's going to be you, God. 
because you're over there and I'm over here and good times are right in front of me. So don't bother me. God loves you even when you don't love him, which is powerful. Because we don't love people like that. You don't love me? I don't love you. It's a pretty simple formula, right? God loves you when you don't love him. God loves you when you crash and burn and find out that you have made a fool of yourself. God loves you when you come to that point of recognizing I have, I have just ruined everything and I'm the laughing stock and I have nothing left and I'm like Gomer. I'm like that person who is just so loud. Nothing left used and abused and nothing to offer and God loves you even when you crash and burn. God loves you when other people tell you you're not lovable. Because you get that message all the time, don't you? At work, at home, <clears throat> the message that there's something wrong and you're not lovable and you begin to believe it, and you begin to think, if my father doesn't love me, if my spouse doesn't love me, if my kids don't love me, if my friends don't love me, if there's nobody that seems to want to talk to me, if nobody calls me, then how can I be lovable? And yet, God loves us even when others say we're not lovable. How can he do that? Well, because God is faithful and he's merciful and he's truthful. So when God says, you're my people, you're his people. When God makes a vow, he's faithful and he keeps it. He keeps it. And he's merciful. When we come back to him seeking mercy, he gives us mercy. And he's truthful. What he says is the truth that you can count on. But, but here's the thing too that we have to understand when we talk about the love of God and his love for you. God is also holy and he's just. And so God loves you when you don't love yourself and yet when he's loving you, <clears throat> He can also allow you to feel a lot of pain. In fact, there are times he'll bring pain on you. There are times, and when you read the book of Hosea, it's, you see God's anger and, and his desire to pour out wrath upon them and is warning them that if you don't knock it off, I'm going to make bad things happen to you. Why? Because you don't love me? No, because I do love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't care. But I'm going to bring bad things to happen to you so you wake up and realize 
that what you think you're doing is loving yourself is killing yourself. Yeah, there are times that, that he makes us feel like we've been scattered and we're not loved and we're not his people. But we feel that because we won't get out of our sin. And yet there are those times that God will make us feel abandoned until we cry out. And then he runs and comes and says, of course I love you. I never stopped loving you. But I wouldn't let you keep going the way you're going because that wouldn't be love. See, we think because we suffer for our sins or that God doesn't know he loves us. And the truth is, we suffer from our sins because they're sins that we initiated, not him. God loves us even when we don't love ourselves. And God has a master plan for you and for me, for all of us. A plan in which all he wants to do is allow us to prosper from his love, to allow us to be empowered by his love, to allow us to make an impact because of his love. You know, when I, when I meet, meet with teenagers, teenagers, all they want to do is, I just wish my parents would leave me alone and let me do what I want to. Yeah, but what you want to is going to ruin you. But I'll always say to teenagers, there's something you don't understand. Your parents want to give you more than you can imagine. But you're not letting them. You keep ruining it. And so they got to withhold. They got to take things back. They got to say, look, if you do this, then this is what's going to happen. But it's not what they want to do. Every parent, when, when their child comes and says, hey, dad, hey, mom, can I borrow the car? Oh, absolutely. Because I know that you aren't going to drive fast, and I know that you'll put gas in it, and I know that you won't leave it a mess. Absolutely, the car, you can have the car anytime you want. Hey, mom and dad, can I borrow some money to the next one? Of course you can, because you always pay money back. Mom and dad, can, 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 I, can I go stay over someone's house and, and you know, it'll be cool? But absolutely. I know you'll be asleep by 10.30. Parents want to trust. They want to bless. They want to see their kids prosper and do well. Well, how much more God? Even when we feel down on ourselves, we have to remember, God loves us. Even when we don't love ourselves. God loves you when you don't. And that's the good news. That's 
the whole purpose of Hosea to get the message to the people of Israel. Stop acting like people who don't have a loving God. Stop acting like people whose God will never take them back. Stop acting like people who seem to think that God doesn't care about the way you act. Start living like people who are blessed and who are close to God and who trust in his love. How do we live more and more every day living close to the belief that he loves us and getting away from the belief that he doesn't because we don't? One, living within reach. We saw that with Noah. At the end of his life, he began to take a right-hand turn and, and he started to get distant from God and bad things happened. Stay close. Believe what you believe. So when you become anxious or afraid or your desires want to take over, don't move away from God. Move into God. Keep within his reach. And you'll know that he loves you and you'll know that you are loved and it doesn't matter about what you feel or what others think. It doesn't matter about what you've done. Just stay within reach. Call out upon him in gratitude every day. I love AA. One of the things that they tell people, look, make your list of the things that you're grateful for every day. Because if you look at that list, you realize, why am I drinking? Why do I want to drink? I've got a good life. But recognize those good things are the good things that God has given you. Don't give in to immorality. Don't defile yourself because you won't be within his reach. Read your Bible. Come to know and learn about the God who loves you. Second, keep within reach. See yourself as he sees you. When you go forth this week, just think about what it would look like if you lived as a person who felt 100% assured of God's love. Just envision that this week, tomorrow, I'm gonna go forth and I'm just gonna wake up in the morning and I am gonna give thanks to God for his love and I am gonna live as a person who's in love with the God who loves them. It's a powerful thing. If you think because you're a sinner that you're just some kind of worm and, you know, God's just getting, then you're going to live like a worm. God knows what you've done. His love isn't based upon what you've done or haven't done. His love is based upon the fact that he loves you. 
and that he sent the Savior to come and die for your sins so that you don't have to be saddled with them. You don't have to be judged by them. You don't have to be condemned by them. See yourself as he sees you. Third, see others as God sees them. You want to know what your condition is with God's love for you? You'll know it by the way that you look at other people. Run around judging other people, that's you judging yourself. Run around looking at people saying, they don't really matter, they're dirtbags. Uh, they're a mess, they're alcoholics, uh, they're sex addicts, they're whatever, they're those yucky people. It'll come back on you. See others as God sees them. And you'll draw nearer to God's love. And you'll know that you're loved no matter what. There's a great hymn we often sing by George Matheson called, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean's depth its flow may richer, fuller be. May richer and fuller be. You want a richer and fuller life? A life without, a life with rest and not restlessness? And accept the fact that God loves you. And throughout the Bible, God has, we'll see that God has gone to extremes to make the point you're loved even when you don't love yourself let's pray